0: Greetings and welcome to another episode from John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir John E. Macdonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. For $3 a month, just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. As well, I have two other podcasts out there you can enjoy, Pucks and Cups and Canadian History X available on all podcast platforms. I would also like to say hello to all of my new listeners out there because there are quite a few of you. I hope you enjoy my upcoming episodes. Today we come to our third of four Prime Ministers who were in power for two years or less following the death of Sir John A. Macdonald and before the arrival of Sir Wilfrid Laurier. This time it's Mackenzie Bowell a man who came to power following the death of Prime Minister John Thompson and who had a long and illustrious career in the House of Commons outside of the top job. It could be said that he was the Rodney Dangerfield of Prime Ministers. He got no respect, even though he had a very long career in the House of Commons. Also, I've heard his name pronounced Bowel and Bowel, but I believe Bowel is the correct pronunciation and that's the one I'm going to use. Bowell was born in Ricking Hall, England, to John Bowell and his wife Elizabeth Marshall on December 27, 1823. Bowell would come to Canada at the age of nine with his family, settling in Belleville, Upper Canada. As he grew older, he began to work as an apprentice to the printer at a newspaper nearby called the Belleville Intelligencer. Learning from this experience, he became a printer, editor, and eventually the owner of the newspaper. In 1841, he trained as a teacher, and he received his diploma from the Sydney Normal School in Hastings, just north of Belleville. In 1847, he married Harriet Moore, and together the couple had five sons and four daughters. Bull was a strong supporter of the military in Hastings County, and in 1857 he organized the First Volunteer Militia Rifle Company of Belleville, serving as an ensign to begin with, and then eventually lieutenant colonel. He would see active duty during the rising tensions of the American Civil War from 1864 to 1865, and in 1866 he served in Prescott, Upper Canada during the Fenian Raids. From 1867 to 1872, he was lieutenant colonel with the 49th Hastings Battalion of Rifles. Throughout his life, Boal was a devout Protestant and a member of the Orange Order. The organization was founded in Ireland in 1795, and Bowell had joined in 1852. In 1860 he was the president of the Belleville Orange Lodge and he would help organize a celebration of the Prince of Wales Royal Tour of Canada. Eventually he would become the Grand Master of British North America from 1870 to 1878. While in that role he did not always vote along with what the Orange Order wanted, in the 1890s he defended the Catholic Prime Minister John Sparrow David Thompson from faith-based attacks and he sought to restore funds for the Manitoba Catholic school system, which I will get into later. These actions did cause anger among his fellow Orangemen. With his newspaper, The Intelligencer, he would turn that from a weekly to a daily newspaper in 1867, and in 1875 he incorporated the business into The Intelligencer Printing and Publishing Company. Through his newspaper work, he would help found the Canadian Press Association in 1859, and he served as its president from 1865 to 1866. In September 1883, during a tour of the West as an MP, Mackenzie Bowles stopped in at the offices of the Calgary Herald, then just a bunch of tents. Andrew Armoir, who was publishing the paper at the time, knew of Bowles' experience and immediately put him to work setting type for the next day's edition, which happened to be the first edition of the Calgary Herald. In addition to his work with the newspaper, he also served as the director of the Grand Junction Railway, the president of the Hastings Mutual Fire Insurance Company, and the Dominion Safety Gas Company. The year that Canada came into being, 1867, was the same year that Bull was elected into the House of Commons. But this was not his first foray into politics. He had spent 11 years as the chairman of the Board of School Trustees in Belleville and was a member of the Board of Agriculture and Arts for three years. He had also pursued being a candidate for the Canadian Assembly in 1863 in the riding of Hastings, but he was not elected. At first he was a backbencher, but in 1874 he began to advocate for the expulsion of Louis Rial from the House of Commons. Rial had ordered the execution of Thomas Scott in 1870 during the Red River Resistance. Scott was an Orangeman from Bowles riding, and the fact that Rial was elected to Parliament in his riding in Manitoba despite not being able to take his seat due to his exile, angered many people in Boal's riding and many Orange Order members. Boal would introduce a motion to prevent Rial from taking his seat, which was passed, and this would raise his profile in the House of Commons. In his speech on April 15, 1874 regarding Rial, he would state, quote, that Louis Rial, having been charged with murder and an indictment having been found against said Rial, and warrants issued by the courts of Manitoba for his apprehension, and that the said Rial having fled from justice, and having refused to attend his place in this house on Thursday, April 9th, he be expelled from this house. While most of the Conservative Party lost all of their seats in 1874, amidst the fallout of the Pacific scandal, Boal was able to keep his seat. In 1878, he would serve as the Minister of Customs, followed by the Minister of Militia and Defence in 1892. He also served as the Acting Minister of Railways and Canals from June 1891 to January 1892. As the Minister of Customs, his main task was the supervision of government revenue, and with the National Policy Tariff of 1879, new rules and new rates were established. A Board of Dominion Customs Appraisers was created in June 1879, and Bowell believed it was essential to have common policies through the different ports in Halifax, St. John, Quebec, Montreal, Kingston, Toronto, and London. The Customs Act was created as a result, which made the invoiced value of goods be based on fair market price in the country of origin. Also, Bowell in his role as Minister of Customs would not always bend to the political requests of those around him. When one MP named Paul Etienne Grenbois came to Sir John A. Macdonald in 1884 with a plea that a Captain Charret, whose vessel had been seized for smuggling alcohol, be cleared after the cargo was condemned, Macdonald sent a note to Bowell stating, quote, That you may, if possible, have mercy upon the owner of the schooner, and let him off as easily as your conscience will allow. Bowell responded with full documentation of the seizure, which put Macdonald on his side and ended the matter. In his duty as minister, he would effectively limit the number of Mormons who could come into Canada. In speaking with Charles O'Card, a Mormon who would settle in Alberta and found the community of Cardston, Bowle was reported to have said regarding polygamy, quote, It was not proper and very unpopular and consequently could not be admitted. When Sir John Thomson became Prime Minister, Boal moved into the Senate, becoming the government leader at the same time in the Senate. From September 1893 to January 1894, he went to Australia with Sir Sanford Fleming to discuss trade between Australia and Canada, and to propose a cable link between the two continents. The trade mission was so successful that Bowell would create and lead the first leaders conference of the British colonies and territories. Six of the seven Australian colonies sent delegates, as did Fiji and Hawaii, which was still independent at the time. By this point, Bowell was looking to scale back his work as he was now 71 and younger members of the government had taken to calling him Grandpa Bowell. Despite the boost to his self-esteem of the Australian trip, he was ready to slow down. Everything changed for Bowell in December of 1894 when Prime Minister Sir John Sparrow David Thompson died of a sudden heart attack in England. There was now work for the Governor-General, Lord Aberdeen, to do. The death of Thompson had resulted in the cabinet falling into individual prejudices and jealousies John Graham Haggart was seen as an able leader but he was considered lazy while Charles Tupper was seen as the most capable person in the cabinet but he was also headstrong and self-willed in addition Thompson had disliked Tupper at the time Bowle was the acting prime minister while Thompson was in London with the death of Thompson it was decided by the governor general to appoint Bowle into the top position becoming one of just two Prime Ministers after John Abbott to serve in the Senate rather than the House of Commons. Taking office on December 21st, 1894, Bowell put together his cabinet, using all the ministers from Thompson's cabinet, with eight members keeping their previous positions. On January 1st, 1895, Bowell was knighted. Lady Aberdeen, the wife of the Governor-General, was not a fan of Bowell, stating that he was, quote, rather fussy and decidedly commonplace, although she did add that he was, quote, a good and straight man with good ideas about the drawing together of the colonies and the empire. On September 1st, 1895, Bowell made his first trip out west as Prime Minister, traveling with the Northwest Mounted Police Commissioner Hirschmere, visiting Onion Lake, where a new detachment had been opened, followed by a journey into Battleford. As Prime Minister, Boll would be forced to deal with an issue that had started as a small matter in Manitoba and grown to become a national issue. It was the Manitoba schools question. In 1890, Manitoba had abolished funding for all denominational schools, which many felt violated the Manitoba Act of 1870. A court challenge that reached the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council held that the abolition of the public funding was consistent with the Act and a second court case had the committee rule that Parliament had the authority to enact remedial legislation to force Manitoba to re-establish the funding. The issue would only grow during Bowles' time in office, eventually helping to bring in the government of Sir Wilfrid Laurier and the Liberals in just a few years' time. Bull was indecisive on the matter, and since he was a senator and not in the House of Commons, he could not take part in debates over it in the House of Commons. Bull would put his support behind legislation that would force Manitoba to restore Catholic schools, and then postpone this because he saw opposition to it in his own cabinet. Bull would say, quote, I am convinced from the utterances made by most of the brethren in the press, and on the platform that they do not understand the question, nor draw the distinction which exists between the matter and the Jesuits' Estates Act. By January 1896, things were taking a turn for the worse, and cabinet ministers began to resign, beginning with the Minister of Agriculture. Parliament would open on January 2, 1896, and the government was in total disarray. Within one day, there was a revolt against Bowell and his cabinet. Seven cabinet ministers resigned on January 4th, and the cabinet began to urge the Governor-General to replace Bowell with Charles Tupper. By January 8th, Bowell had tendered his resignation. And this makes Boll the only Prime Minister in Canadian history to be forced to resign by his own cabinet. His last day as Prime Minister would be April 27, 1896. In all, he served as Prime Minister for 493 days. Soon after, the government crisis was resolved, and six of the ministers were reinstated and Charles Tupper took over as Prime Minister. Bowell would remain in the Senate in various capacities until 1917, and this allowed him to serve 50 years as a federal parliamentarian. He also returned to work at the Intelligencer in 1896, continuing to work in his newspaper office until 1913. Bowell never forgot or forgave the men he called traitors who pushed him out of office. He would stay loyal to his work in the Senate and in an article published in the Yukon World on March 3rd, 1905, it related a speech that Boal gave in Ottawa. He stated that if he did not call the seven ministers traitors, he should have done so and would do so again. He also stated the conspiracy against him was long-standing and that the Honourable George Foster was the chief of the conspirators. Boal also stated that their claim that they resigned over a question of policy was unfounded. As for why he resigned he said it was to free himself of the traitors by whom he was surrounded. He did have high praise for Sir Charles Tupper though, the man who succeeded him, stating that he always treated him with courtesy. In 1916 at the age of 93 he would set out to see his son in Vancouver and then travelled up to the Yukon. On December 10, 1917, only a few weeks before his 94th birthday, he would pass away from pneumonia. Despite his long career in government, no current, or elected member of the government attended his funeral. He would be buried at the Belleville Cemetery, the same cemetery as author Susanna Moody and Samuel Green, an early pioneer in deaf education in Ontario. Upon his death, the Belleville Daily, Ontario, would state that he was not a great lawmaker or a parliamentarian, and he had no independent cast of mind. It would continue to say that his aptness of public life he was, quote, "...administrative rather than constructive." He administrated the affairs of the department honestly, fearlessly, efficiently. He left to others the long speeches and the framing of the statutes while he kept the machinery of government in motion. In 1945, he was named a National Historic Person, and a stamp was created in his honour in 1954. Mount Sir Mackenzie Bowl in the Caribou Mountains was named for him on September 6, 1927. It had been called Mount Welcome when it was first climbed in 1924, and the communities of Bowell, Ontario and Bowell, Alberta are also named for him. In a Maclean's magazine ranking of the top 20 Prime Ministers as of 1999, Bowell finished 19th, with only Kim Campbell lower than him on the list. Since then, his ranking has not improved. In a similar poll in 2016, he came in 21st, with only John Turner and Kim Campbell below him. Until 2017, Bowles was the only Prime Minister without a biography of their life and career. Betsy Dewar Boyce would write The Accidental Prime Minister, which was published in 2017. Ten years after Boyce had passed away after not being able to find a publisher for her book. I hope you enjoyed that look at Sir Mackenzie Bowl, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can also visit my website where you'll find all my podcast episodes as well as hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to CanadaEHX.com And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to Patreon.com CanadaEHX just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Gary Dolovich Nick Zinri Pamela Elder Shannon Marshall Clinton Martinez Dimitri Shove Aaron O'Hara Myers Robert Dunseith Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Baer, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. You can also find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash canadianhistoryx. And I'm on Twitter. Just go to Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. I'm also on Instagram, and you just have to look for bairdo 37 Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, The Government of Canada, Biography, Wikipedia, Land of Second Chance, Stories of Old Calgary, A Not Too Solemn Look at Calgary's First 100 Years, Historic Hastings, Yukon World, and the Government of British Columbia. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.